Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. Let me start this podcast with a story. I want to tell you kind of a humorous story that a friend of mine told me. I have a very large African-American friend who's a former NFL player, and he's hilarious. And uh, he travels a great deal speaking and doing other things. And he said not long ago that um, he said, you know, I am happy to be the most huggable black man in America. Now, you got to understand this guy's bigger than I am. He's at least 6'5", probably close to 300 pounds. He said, I am happy to be the most huggable black man in America. But you white people have got to understand I am about to miss my plane. So I'm going to hug all the white people who want to hug me in the airports. But I got to say, you got to get a brother on his plane. Now, he just cracks me up when he talks that way because this is a man who loves people and he just exudes that. And and uh, especially with the racial tension we have in our country right now, a lot of people just talk to him. Then they want to hug him. Then they want to stand with him. And he's going, well, that's great, but I got a plane to catch. Oh, it cracks me up when he talks that way. You know, we do have a resurgence right now of an ugly old racism that has always been woven through American history. I hate that. I love my country. I love the righteous, redemptive side of my country. Um, I'm, I'm aware that blacks first came to America as free and indentured servants. Um, and then they came uh, later as slaves in 1620. Um, and I, and I and to Jamestown and I'm, I'm aware of our, our horribly racist history. I cannot believe the stuff that was in our history at the same time that we were attempting to be a righteous and a noble city upon a hill to the glory of God. It's a very difficult thing to ponder. And yes, we have to ponder it because it's the truth. But now, after what looked like some decades of victory over it, for the most part, uh, we've seen a a resurgence of it. And we can talk about it at a systemic level, and we can talk about it at an American level, uh, at a national level, but I want to challenge you at a personal level. One of the things that really gets on my nerves when I'm talking to people around the country is when people bellyache about problems that they do not make any effort to change. Uh, people, for example, one of the things that people often do is complain about how bad things are. And I look at them and I think you are rich, uh, comparatively, you are unmolested, you live free. What are you so angry about? What, what, what is it that you think that, uh, some immigrants going to do to steal from your life? Now I understand we've got an immigration policy and I don't believe in porous borders. So don't, don't think that I'm siding with anyone, but some of the angriest people in this country are some of the most privileged and it's just just hard for me to understand. But the question becomes, what are you doing to make a difference? Uh, how are you dealing with this? Uh, what are you doing to address this issue of racism? And I want to run through a few things that I want to make sure that you incorporate in your life. Number one, I have to tell you that I think that a lot of the racism in this country is tolerated at a low level and then rears its ugly head when challenge comes. Almost everybody listening to this podcast has at some point heard some racist joke, heard someone use the N-word, heard someone joke about honkies, heard someone talk about slopes or kikes or whatever, tell a, tell a joke, tell a Jewish joke, and just kind of felt a little uncomfortable, but just shined it on, just got around it, just walked away. And I, I want to suggest that if we're going to have a society that's free of the kind of racism that's troubling us all, that first of all, we have to be bold to confront that kind of conversation. 
Uh, I've rarely been in the room when things like that have said because my family just wasn't that way, quite frankly, and my friends are for the most part. But I have in recent years been around some people who talk that way. And I'll tell you what, the only way to deal with it is to face it down. Tell them they're not going to do that in your house. Tell them they're not going to do that in your presence. If it's a spouse, you got to draw a line. This stuff is unrighteous. This stuff is uh, so clearly immoral that Jesus raged against it, not once but twice in his public three years on earth. Uh, This stuff is evil. It's the stuff that led us to the uh, concentration camps of Europe and the gas chambers. It's the stuff that's led to genocide worldwide. Uh, We have to deal with the issue of racism. So that's number one. Number one, you cannot tolerate it at a low level. Number two, you have to be proactive in connecting with people who are different from you. Where in your life are you choosing to know people? How are you getting out of your neighborhood, your suburb, your church, your situation where it's all one color? Uh, Bev and I attend a largely African-American church in D.C. Love it. Many friends there. I help lead just a tiny little bit. Um, And then we come back to Nashville and through no choice of of ours, it's very white. Uh, we go to a church here that's 98% white and uh, and uh, very few people of color in the church. It's not really a choice we made based on race. It's just our neighborhood. Our down, We live in downtown Nashville when we're in Nashville, and we live in uh, Alexandria in, D- in the D.C. area, but drive out to a church that's on the edge that's large and has a about, I would say it's about 90% African-American. Well, that's a choice we make. And we, therefore, we have friendships. And therefore, our kids have connections. And therefore, uh, you know, my, my pastor's black uh, at that church. Brett Fuller, Pastor Brett Fuller, some of you will know him, uh, is black. And I and I, it's, it's, I can't tell you how much I love that church, how much I love being there. And it connects me to the broader challenges of, of the African-American community. Don't claim to be black, of course. I just want to. I just want to walk with my brothers and sisters. I want to understand who they are. I want dreadlock sixteen-year-olds putting their arm around me and patting my tummy and asking me how my Oreo diet's going and picking on me and being proud of me. Whatever it is they want to do, that's what I want. Uh, I want to live that kind of life. So. Bev and I have chosen to be proactive. Bev and I have chosen to associate that way. Bev and I have chosen to, to, to cross lines. And by the way, both of us come from relatively racist backgrounds. Not everybody, of course, in those families, but I've shared many times here that I have ancestors who were in the KKK. And um, so we choose to cross those lines. We choose to break down those walls. We choose to be uh, who we are, uh, which is a people who reflect um, uh, lives connected to every culture. And uh, we don't have to be told black lives matter. We believe that every life matters and we trust our lives live that way. Now we've chosen to be proactive in that direction. How have you done that? I'm not saying we're perfect, but how have you done that? How are you walking out those relationships? Where do you make connection? Okay. And then the third thing is what do you teach your children? Uh, what do you teach those you have influence over? If you're not emphasizing this, then you're losing ground. And therefore, our nation is losing ground as a result. If you lead a church or a religious organization, you got to be proactive in your hiring and, and bring in people of color. Um, not as ringers, not as you know, just symbols, not as, uh, not as, not as some kind of a facade, 
but in a genuine way. Find qualified people of color and begin to change. Listen, let me tell you something about organizations and leadership. People become what they behold. You put African-American leadership in the leadership of a church or a company uh, combined with other white leadership and there's good unity and good feeling and good connections, that company will grow in that direction. You'll grow customers in that direction. If you're a church, you'll grow a congregation in that direction. You have to be proactive People become what they behold. You want them to live multi-ethnic lives. You want them to be able to embrace uh, the, the dramatic shift that's coming racially in this country and that's going to be wonderful for us. Then, then, then you've got you've to make that change happen and give people some, something to see uh, as a model. And you might as well go ahead and deal with the fact that the Hispanic birth rate in America is five times that of the white birth rate and that the African-American birth rate is twice that of the white birth rate. We are already, I believe, as of now, at this point in this year, August of 2016, we are already not a majority white uh, America. And I celebrate that. But let's be an integrated America. Let's be deeply committed to our roots as Americans. Uh, and let's let's break down these walls of racism. Uh, there is a, a fourth issue that uh, that we've got to deal with. And, and that is, how are you learning about people different from you? Where do you read about the achievements, if you're white, let's say, of African-Americans? Where are you learning uh, what other people are accomplishing? In this presidential election in 2016, we've had some of the dumbest things said about race, about ethnicity, about Muslims that I've ever heard. And so where do you learn? Where do you gain your information? What books do you read? What podcasts do you listen to? What publications do you listen to? Um, you know, if you use something like Flipboard or some other kind of news aggregator, put in some categories that, you know, who knows, African-American achievements, um, Asian, uh, Asian-Americans, just put in any kind of search terms that just bring you in context with it. Uh, realize that most of us are living in on ethnic islands, uh, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, uh, Middle Eastern, whatever. We're living on little islands of information. If you're Kurdish in America, you see the whole world through the, through the eyes of a Kurd. You think in terms of Kurdistan in the Middle East. You think in terms of Kurdish challenges. You think in terms of uh, your news, your information, what's going on with you. Um, but you've got to know about what's going on elsewhere. You've got to know about other people. And whites have to know about the achievements of other people. So how are you feeding your mind and your soul in addition to how you're, hopefully you're living differently and modeling it differently and being proactive? Where are you feeding your mind and your soul? Where do you have knowledge and understanding? I gave a talk not long ago about the achievements of African-Americans and uh, the audience was mixed. And I went through a whole list of things. If you've had a certain medical procedure, you need to say thank you to a black man. I, I just riffed on it for a long time. And quite frankly, they stood up and applauded, not me, but the fact that they hadn't seen it in that light before, that African-Americans are, are, are not the, the gangbanger, they're not the you know, the cop who misbehaved, maybe they're not uh, just an underclass. They're high, have achieved huge things. And, you know, if you've just had a blood transfusion, for heaven's sakes, you, you owe an African-American. If you've had blood stored and been saved by stored blood, you owe an African-American. I went off like that for a long time. And people were thrilled. They were just yelling with excitement. Again, it wasn't me. It's that they didn't know that information. So where are you going to get that information? So battle this stuff, battle it in your soul, model it differently, 
teach your children, uh, express these truths, be proactive, and, and figure out how to learn stuff you don't know about other people. And let's begin to deal with this. I don't think that just sitting around complaining about what Trump and Clinton are doing or what's happening in certain segments of the society or the misdeeds of police is going to fix it. We're going to have to fix it at the ground level. All politics is local, but it could very be, well be that ultimately all righteousness is personal and local first before it's anything else. What are you doing to be racially righteous in this country? Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and The Miracle of the Curves. His new book is Ask the Question, why we must demand religious clarity from our presidential candidates. Available on Amazon. Learn more about Stephen at stephenmansfield.tv. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is directed by Isaac Darnold, who also wrote, produced, and performed the podcast theme song. This is a Chartwell Literary Group production.